I'm the doctor, by the way. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's always angelic. (coughs) (coughs) (laughs) Terrible. We're back to look at those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord as played by Paul McGann. I'm Rebecca Chapman. And I'm Kenny Smith. And you join us as we resume request to feature the Eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, magazines, and more. Ooh, and more instead of and everything else. We're changing things up this week. We are mixing <laughs> 21st century remakes. <laughs> this week we're going to be doing a deep dive into Albie's Angels, one of the stories included in an 8th Doctor box set which was released at the end of last year, Connections. Yeah, after the lengthy 16-part box set arcs of Dark Eyes, Doom Coalition, Ravenous and Stranded, Big Finish have gone for box sets with standalone adventures and three three CDs or three releases in each one. And this set features what happened next for the Doctor, Livchenka and Helen Sinclair after getting the TARDIS back at the end of Stranded. So Becca, let's pop over to www.bigfinish.com and see what the website has to tell us about this story, Albie's Angels, which concludes the set. Ah, oh, reading voice, activate. <clears throat> <clears throat> When the Doctor and friends hunt down time anomalies in 2020's Soho, Helen steps into the past and meets the brother she thought she'd lost forever. But there are weeping angels in London, and one of the stone assassins wants something from the Doctor and Liv. And now, let's hear an excerpt from the story. It's difficult. If I do or say the wrong thing, I could make things worse. Though I'm not sure how that could be. Worse how? Are you in some kind of trouble? Not now. I need you to turn around quick. Why? What's the matter? Something's following us. I caught a glimpse over your shoulder. Could be the park keeper. (laughs) We were making a racket, like a couple of kids. There. Through the trees. Um, Can't see. Snow keeps blowing in my face. Look! That silhouette. Dark wings against the white. It's a statue. Part of the old fountain? It's a weeping angel. All right, if you say so. Albie, do you trust me? Yes, uh, but uh, I don't know. Um, Close your eyes, just for a second. Why? What for? So you can understand what we're dealing with. Will you do that for me? Okay. Now, open them, quick. It's hands! Reaching out! It was by the trees, now it's... It's coming for us. Yes, don't take your eyes off it. A statue come to life. Like in that old book. Scared me when I was little. The Enchanted Castle. You know it. Someone read it to me. I used to be so scared of monsters. Used to be? Not anymore? Monsters can be fought. My friends taught me that. There's always a way to beat them. Okay. Since you've got all the plans, what do we do? Working that out. I know this park. Has it been snowing for long? Uh, Days. Coldest winter in years. Can we make it to the boating lake? Uh, I reckon so. Helen, it's getting closer. Take my hand. Come on, run! (sighs) 
chilling, chilling stuff as the angel closes in on poor Helen and Albie. And just when they've had a good fun snowball fight. Oh, what a shame. But hey, what a script. What a story this one is. I Oh, it, it's amazing. It just it's one that takes your breath away and I mean it's the horrifying nature of this is that the, the story at the heart of it is actually based on a true story. That's the most horrible thing. In fact, for the actor John Bailey, who was writing he'd innocent love letters to his boyfriend who was living in France and then they were discovered and he spent time in jail. John Bailey later appeared in Doctor Who twice, as we'll find out shortly. But my God, it's just it absolutely rips your heart out, doesn't it? It does. I mean, before I had ever listened to Big Finish, I never understood how an audio drama or an audio book or, you know, any of these things could ever convey all of the emotion that they're supposed to. Absolutely. And the pain, the emotion that you feel for Albie and for Bailey is unbelievable you know and weeping angels it's not like they talk how are they so terrifying on an audio drama <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean I think it's the thing that sort of scared me the most was to think that you know this story's taking place you know like a decade or so before I was born and you just think how cruel and inhumane man could be towards fellow man just because he loves somebody and it's I mean I think there was when it was implied in unit dating about Helen's elder brother but before we met Albie and um, you know you think you mentioned he was jailed and you think oh it's going to be for something you know, to use that, that ghastly term of cottaging or whatever it was that um, mm-hmm. you know, some, something you think it'd be something seedy and then we get to this and the heart of it and it absolutely wasn't it was just one man writing letters to his boyfriend and expressing his love for him nothing too filthy just oh, it, it just breaks your heart doesn't it it does I was actually talking about this, not this audio, but but I was talking about this subject with my dad the other week because he was born in 1968 Mm -hmm. and being gay wasn't decriminalized until 1969. So my dad was a year old before it was accepted by law to be gay. It's just incredible. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously I'm looking at it from a, heterosexual point of view but as a as a male but even then it still horrifies me that people just weren't allowed to be themselves and it's just horrifying and it just makes you glad you know that okay things aren't perfect in the world today but my god at least they've moved on a bit since then and oh yeah i mean it's amazing just how angry i felt listening to this you know just the the inhumanity towards other people and uh particularly the landlady character and just thought Roy Gill, you bloody genius, the way that he just put his heart and soul into this and just made you get so angry and get so emotionally invested, like you said, in an audio drama. It is. It is heartbreaking. Every minute of the entire thing breaks your heart. They do get the happy ending, as it were. Excuse me, maybe I'll rephrase that. <laughs> on, I'll leave it as is. Um, <laughs> the fact they get... The fact that they, when they get sent back in time and they mention that they're going back to Ranskill Gardens and they're being looked after by Professor George Lightfoot from the wonderful Jago and Lightfoot series, which you really need to, well, I believe you've downloaded for part of your maternity leave listening. Ah, uh, see, this is a problem I'm having. I downloaded loads 
but uh, my big finish app has told me that my phone is full so I'm keeping a list of what to download after I finish what I have right <laughs> well I definitely Jake on Lightfoot is amazing because characters from the talents of Wenchang and um, in fact you should probably start off with the companion chronicle the mahogany murderers because that will introduce you to them gently and uh, you'll very quickly fall in love with them both and wow but yeah the wonderful thing is that he's played by Trevor Baxter, who was a friend of John Bailey, and it was um, through Trevor relaying the story to producer David Richardson that that's what inspired it all. So it's rather nice that at the end, the the safe house is provided by Professor Lightfoot to the guys, and they're able to live happily ever after in Victorian London with Professor Lightfoot as his house guest. So yes, I like that. A really nice touch. It is. It's, I obviously do not have the connection to Jago and Lightfoot, but I am a fan from everything I have heard, and I really liked the ending. I really liked the whole episode. I, I think we can safely say that we both liked it. Yes. <laughs> so, moving on, your friendship with Roy Gill pays off once again, as I believe we actually have him here, speaking to the only podcast he actually talks with. Yes. Apart from you on The Power of Three. Well... Yes, that's also true. <laughs> yes, well, I'm seeing a theme here, Kenny. It's you, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's not just. It's yeah. It's yeah. People seem to like me. And they're quite happy to talk to me, so it pays off quite handy when you're doing podcasts. Why am I doing pod two podcasts concurrently a week at the moment? I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. Quite anyway. Shall we uh, chat to? <laughs> shall we head over to Edinburgh and chat to Roy? Let us do that. All right. Number one, what's your name and where'd you come from? <laughs> Hi, I'm Roy Gill and I come from Edinburgh and uh, I'm speaking from Edinburgh and uh, I'm talking to you today about Albie's Angels. We have to say though, Roy, it's a story that's received so much love already and that must delight you before we go back and talk about its genesis, the fact that something you've done gets so much love. Yes, yeah, it does. I mean, it's every single thing I do, I am quite anxious about, I would be honest, because I put a lot of myself into my work and I always want it to be the best I possibly can. And, um, you know, not everything you write will succeed to the same extent. That's just, that's just life. But I guess it's also a point at which I form my own opinion on things once I've once I've heard the final final edit or whatever, but I never know how it will necessarily be received by a wider a wider audience. But it's it's fair to say that um, the response to this one was pretty much overwhelmingly positive, and that was was really nice to see because it was an important story for me. So to see that kind of wave of you know all the messages on on, on Twitter and, and the reviews and so on and fan art and that kind of thing was all lovely to see. Very well, lovely boost just before Christmas last year, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So let's rewind. That was my rewinding noise. Of course, the first seeds for this one were sown back in Stranded, weren't they? Yes, that's right. Um, in Unit Dating, which is a story I wrote for the second series. So that one was about, most of the story was about exploring 
how the backstory of how these two, Ron and Tony, the characters in the, in the house in, in Baker Street, in, 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 which ran all the way through Stranded, how they got together back in the 70s, or was it the 80s? We can't tell. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and that was their, that was their part of the storyline, and that was where the Doctor and Andy were, were involved. And then back in the present, we had uh, Liv and Helen, and they were trying to work out how you know, what problems were unfolding across time because the past was being interfered with. And um, it was a story I, I really loved doing and I had a lot of fun doing it. And it's also one that had a huge, we've already, as we've already done a podcast about it, it's also one that had a really big response. And one of the things that came between the first and second draft of that was I had a, a really good producer's note from David Richardson, which was very simply, he, he said that he thought that he'd always ha kind of had the idea in his head that Helen might have had a brother who was gay and who was persecuted for his sexuality back in the 60s. So this was inspired very much by conversations he'd had with Trevor Baxter, the actor who played uh, Professor Lightfoot. And I didn't know this, I don't think, at the time. I can't remember the chronology, it's got a little bit scrambled in my head, but basically the point was he said Helen may have had a, a gay brother and I we had known already that she had a particular kind of interest in Ron and Tony that had already kind of been set up and was being developed more. When I heard this, it was like kind of like a light bulb going off in my head. I thought that was a that's a great idea. And I sat down and I wrote this extra scene really very quickly and it just came very truthfully and naturally I think to the page about what, how this knowledge of losing her brother to the prejudices of the time had impacted on her, and I guess impacted on her and what she could say about her own life, and in set against as she kind of had lives very much sort of, you know, righteous anger, I guess. And it, it came together very quickly on the page, and it clearly came together very well in the studio, and it was one of the scenes in that audio which people really responded to. I mean, I think they responded a lot to Ron and Tony's story as well, and they also responded to the Doctor and Brig getting together. But this was certainly one of the moments that resonated with people. And, and very soon after that, I was speaking to Matt Fitton, the script editor. I think when he was actually, when he was up in Edinburgh for something, and he said to me, you know, if you're interested, we would love to do a full story about Helen's brother. And I said, yes, of course, I would absolutely be interested in that. And I knew this was a conversation we'd had even before I wrote my second Stranded, which was for the last run. And I knew that we were going to, I was going to come back and do this. And so I was actually setting it up at that stage when I wrote Keys of Baker Street. And I kind of very much decided to kind of range back over the entire run of Stranded and try and pull together lots of threads and when it came to the scenes for Helen uh, and with Ron and Tony, or actually it wasn't both of Ron and Tony in this case, but, uh, but the scenes which, which connected to those characters, it brought up Albie again. And that was, was deliberate because I knew we were going to come back and tell the story and I just wanted to foreshadow it. So I was quite glad I was able to do that. So when it came to Albie's Angels, it felt like, um, it felt like a culmination of something we'd, be, we'd been planning for quite a while. Where did the name come from for Albie? Of course, that's I always like to know these things. 
I don't actually remember. It was in discussion with Matt. I think it was my idea. I can't remember. It might have been Matt's, but we certainly checked out the names of Helen's existing family, and it was to kind of to fit in with because we'd already met. Um, I think we met her bro- another brother previously, hadn't we? In in one of Dorney's scripts. Yep. Um, uh, the one with the, the telephone call, I think. That was a really excellent story. So um, it was, yeah, that was where the name came in. I think when we came to do this story, I think um, there was a, uh, David Richardson's suggestion was that we'd call it simply Alby, like, in, I guess, in all of like, you know, just calling it an episode Rosa or something, you know, just the name, and that's quite powerful. And by the time I knew I had the Weeping Angels as well, I said, no, I think it's Alby's Angels. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we went with. It's like you. The setting is with a record shop. Of course, yes. records yes. and vinyl are something that are very close to your heart. So that yes. was something yeah, you yeah. must really have enjoyed putting in. Yes, I really did. <clears throat> I mean, I think the setup, uh, I think the setup that, that Matt kind of said to me was like, let's, let's have a story where Helen ends up back in the 60s and meets her long-lost brother. And I started to think about ways this might occur. And quite often when you're at this kind of stage, you're kind of throwing out ideas quite flippantly. And it's quite often the really flippant ones you throw out that people go for. So I had suggested, oh, why don't they, you know, they meet because of a a time-traveling record shock. Which is actually because I, I have this sort of um, script, I, a non-Doctor Who thing I've been working on for a long time, which is a kind of gay love story involving a time-traveling record shop, and I just kind of thought, oh, I'll have a bit of that here. And Matt kind of said, hmm, yes, interesting. Or maybe it's the Weeping Angels. <laughs> so, so what happened there was I kind of took the ideas and fused them, because what having been offered the Weeping Angels, there was no way I was going to use the story simply... I wasn't going to just use them as a deus ex machina. I wasn't going to just have them drop her in the past and then we could forget about them. Their story had to be part of the story as well. So I started thinking, well, how do they connect with the record shop? And that's where I got this bizarre notion that, um, you know, that they were being exploited to make money, really. You know, angels providing one-way time travel and passing information back and forwards across time and walling things up in the store to they'll require value over time. So um, it, in some ways, considering how much I, I love vinyl and music shops and so on, I did end up writing quite a, a cynical, nasty music shop owner as part of this story. But I think maybe you can, you can see my love of the format in the story. And the music was a big part of it as well. So that kind of played into it. That was another one of these cases where, you know, you ask for something, you don't necessarily know you're going to get it. Because when I did uh, Unit Dating, there was a song used in that, which was part of the time loop. And Benji Clifford went above and beyond and properly recorded, I just assumed it would be his instrumental or something, and recorded something. And when it came to this story, I wanted to actually do something similar to link those stories, but actually make it more integrally part of the, the narrative this time. 
so I kind of reached out and said, you know, would this be possible? Can we do this? And the response was positive, and I kind of said, right, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some lyrics this time, and Benji can orchestrate it and bring it to life. And uh, so that became that became very much part of the narrative as well. I'll give you a, a little fun fact here. There was a moment in time where I actually thought we might use the same song from Unit Dating as in Albie's Angels. And the twist would be that it was Albie and his partner who wrote the same song that Ron and Tony then fell in love to. And I really liked the idea of this kind of like this this secret message being passed across time. And um, that was something else I kind of wanted to set up in Giza Baker Street. But when it came down to this story, we kind of moved away from that because it, it was going to be just one complication too far because as soon as you're you're dealing with um, time loops and narratives that interact in all kinds of different ways the story becomes so complicated that the important thing at the end of this story was that a message was presented to Helen across time from her brother that was the really important part of the emotional heart of this story and to try and twist it in an extra layer to make it the same song we'd already established in the previous one would have been a little bit too much. So that's the road that wasn't taken. I never, that was just an idea I had at an early stage and stepped back from, but there, there would have been a nice kind of poetry to that, but maybe not much more logic. <laughs> well, we know that um, it's entirely possible they could still have written that song. We just don't know. We never find out. But... They could, well, we could. That's, a, that's an interesting thing. We never actually state who wrote the song in Unit Dating, so maybe well, that was their later hit. Right. That's now canon. It's there we go. You're the writer. You have established it right now, this very second, live or pre-recorded. Yeah. Let's, on go, let's, go our, let's go edit Tardis Wiki right now and make it a fact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If they're tuning in, then we've got a new fact for it. I really enjoyed this, and I particularly love the the Doctor carrying the spear sonic and uh, all yeah, those sort yeah. of things. It's, it's just great fun. And again, you're writing for the Weeping Angels, Maybe yes. obviously we've spoken about it previously between ourselves, but maybe tell the listeners how difficult it can be to write for them and how you sum up those weeping moments, the weeping angels sting moments. Yeah, so weeping angels are a challenge on audio because they are deeply visual. And you're a lot of Doctor Who monsters. They also have an extremely distinctive voice or an extremely distinctive sound effect or something that can carry them on audio and weeping angels don't necessarily so what you have to do is you if you look back at the the television episodes which just which established them they have uh, almost like orchestra stabs on the soundtrack which which indicate every movement so what i learned the first time i wrote for weeping angels which was for a river song adventure um what i learned was you can do a lot with that, you can um, build um, a sense of tension and a sense of uh, danger encroaching in a scene. So when you're writing a scene with Weeping Angels in, there's a lot of sound design direction in your script as well, because you're, you're writing the moments when you hear them every time they move, you're indicating that in the script and how the sound might interact with the characters and all that kind of thing. And so you can build, you can build that sense of tension, you know, once you've got once you've got your actors reacting in fear, 
with their voices and you've got a sound of something coming closer and closer and closer and you can do jump scares as well so once you start thinking about the placement of sound in relation to dialogue i think they actually work really well on audio i think they're a challenge but they're a good challenge and i feel that every time i've done them you have to think of a new way to contain this uncontainable monster and a new a, a new thing to do with it and um yeah, it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. And, and and like I said, having got the Weeping Angels, they had to be part of the story. They absolutely had to be. So the quest, one angel's quest for another, mirrors Helen's quest for her brother, and indeed, Liv and the Doctor's quest for Helen. It was it was a very complicated one to write this. I had it plotted to within, you know. I had the equivalent on on I, I write using Final Draft, and um, you can you can plot out scenes with index cards on the screen. I had every scene plotted out, and I had them color coded via the characters, because so often when something happens in the past, it interacts with the future, or vice versa. So it was very very tightly plotted, <laughs> which I think you have to do to make the best of them. Again, how do you find writing for this doctor? Because I think that the more you do him, I think a lot of people find the more they sort of get into his head and get his rhythms and things. That very strident is the word that I'd use for him in this one. He is, actually. The Stranded episodes, by the nature of Stranded, were more ensemble pieces. So the Eighth Doctor stuff I've done more recently, you kind of, you know, he's he's pushed it's not it's not necessarily the doctor's story it's very much helen's story this but you have to keep him active and um assertive and playful and i think when i was writing there's a bit in this story where um you know he's gone into the record shop and he's bamboozling the guy with this with dialogue about music and and so on and he comes out and 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 Liv kind of says you know i can always tell when you're lying because you become especially charming and i was thinking then about this kind of it's a very eighth doctor trait which was established way back in the movie i think he's intensely charming to people whilst he's up to something completely different and i i, I had had a lot of fun with that he has so much charm the eighth doctor i think he can get away with being really quite rude because <laughs> you know it's the way he says the lines yeah, and I, I quite liked him and Liv talking together about Helen and realising, I guess, which sides of Helen they have both seen. It's not necessarily the same. So, yeah, I, I think every time you write him, you get an, an, an extra insight into his voice and push him a little further. Let's chat about the titular character, Albi. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it's just the fact he's so real and that you just fall in love with him very, very quickly because he's just a good guy. I think, I think there's an interesting thing going on with him and Helen because they start to sense their connection. He, well, he, she obviously knows who he is straight away, but he doesn't know who she is because why would he? She, you know, if, if someone was literally a girl and younger than you last time you saw her even if you see someone who looks a lot like your long lost sister and is now older than you your first thought is going to be are you this person but they kind of i think they move through 
when I was writing it, the snowball fight kind of came out of nowhere, and that really worked. It, I, I didn't. That wasn't in the plan. It just came as I was working on it, and it felt really right because they're kind of re-establishing the connection they had as children, and equally things like you know you discover that because Helen's it is quite a, a, a literary academic type character, and you discover that he read stories to her as a, as a kid. And that's how he comes to understand the monster. So the monster, the weeping angel that's chasing them, he kind of, they kind of understand it in terms of the moving statue from the Unesbeth book, The Enchanted Council. And so it becomes like a fairy tale monster. And it's almost like they, they are together moving through, reminding themselves of who they are by going through that. They have this kind of childhood reminder because they're, they're having fun and they're bonded by the, the threat of the angel. And um, so he is quite... Um, he is quite impulsive, and he maybe re he reveals himself perhaps a little bit faster than I guess might happen in a totally naturalistic drama. But we are dealing with a slightly unusual situation here about two people reunited in this way, and I think I think the trust they they, they do kind of they have an, an instinctual kind of bond. And it must be said, I, I got to listen to this one uh, being recorded. And the actors clicked, and the way actors do actually, they, they, they did click together very quickly. And listening to the scene of them escaping from the angel in the snow, there was real tension there and real atmosphere. And I think, you know, they just, um, I think that chemistry between the actors carried, carried through really well. I don't know if that answered your question in any shape or form. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, just the fact why I always love them. No. The, I did mention at the top that the last time I listened to this, I was in a memorable place because yes. I was out for a walk. I was in LA and I had left Walmart and I was trying to find Hot Topic, a popular shop there with young people. And mm. I just left a, an area called Glasgow Place, which I'd mm. spotted in the map and was listening to this as I was walking along as I went to Hot Topic. And it was just wonderful just having all this, here I am and, you know, the warmth and I'm just sort of with a, <laughs> with a hoodie and a t-shirt on and you're yeah. listening to Snowball Fight and stuff like that. And it's just, it was just wonderful. And it just made me smile all the way and also felt very, very sad, you know, about, you know, Albie's, you know, knowing that what happened to Albie is something that happened to no doubt so many men and women back in the day. and. Now, something that I noticed um, when I re-listened to Trevor Baxter's wonderful memoir with Big Finish, he talks about you know, life as a gay man in the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and it's quite fascinating, particularly when he talks about the, the, the awful events that happened to his friend, the actor John Bailey, who of course is known to Doctor Who fans as playing Victoria's dad, and is in... Is it Nightmare of Eden or Creature from the Pit? He's, I think he's a Creature no, from the Pit. it's Haunted Nyman. There we go, very season 17, yes, there we go. Yes, uh, I can write season wrong stories. Yes. And I think that that's you know, just the fact that his career never recovered from that. And I think it, it's so sad. And it's obviously something that's it's something that you've picked up on. I'd heard the story about what was connected to to uh, to John Bailey, and this is the reason the character of Albie's boyfriend in this is called Trev Bailey because I've wanted to commemorate and acknowledge two gay men really, 
and one being John Bailey and the other being Trevor Baxter. And I guess the story happened to one and was passed on by the other. And now we're acknowledging it and commemorating it. I guess not commemorating is maybe not the right word, but I guess handing it on to other generations. So it's important to me that the single most implausible event in this story with all these kind of wild things like time travel and weeping angels and brothers and sisters reunited over gap the single most implausible event is the reason is also the most truthful event which is that the person who was arrested in 60s and sent to prison for homosexuality this really happened and it happened because of something extremely innocent in the real story as told by trevor baxter my understanding is this John Bailey's boyfriend and he had exchanged letters and the letters were intercepted and they were just you know love letters between two people in love and they were used as a basis to send I think the boyfriend was um, I believe he was arrested coming off a ferry um, and sent back to France and Bailey went to prison you know and these were I mean, th this is my understanding of the story as, as related in the autobiography. I'd also spoke to a friend of mine, um, Alex, who, on, on Twitter, who had seen Trevor Baxter talk at an event, and he'd mentioned the story on this occasion as well, and had got quite righteously angry about it. So it was important to me to preserve in the story this idea that something essentially innocent was used to terrible ends that absolutely had to be there. And so that's what drives Helen's righteous anger and her determination to save the brother, that this something as innocent as that has been used as a weapon against somebody because it is shocking, it's completely shocking. And I think people are on some level aware that people were persecuted for their sexuality in this way, in the relatively recent past, in the past that is in recent memory, but they, may, they maybe don't know how bad it was, you know? So the story had to be truthful around that. It had to acknowledge the aggressive, unthinking, bigoted way people were persecuted. And that part had to be 100% truthful. So that was, that was very important to try and get in, I think. It must have been quite difficult for you to write as well because it's, I know listening to it, I could feel sort of like my anger at the situation and the way things were, you know, sort of, you know I could almost feel my, faint, my my fists clenching when I was walking along it, listening. It, it, was, it was actually very emotive to write. The scene which was most, um, the two, I guess the two scenes in their back, almost back to back in the script, which were the hardest to write and the most emotive were, were Helen confronting the landlady who'd handed over the letters to the police. That was quite an emotional charge to write, and I think I, when I hear it now, I can I can feel I can feel um, the actor's investment in the scene as well, and also just Helen's defence of 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 Albie in the cafe when 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 he's nearly arrested as well, and. Although all the time I was writing this, I was very worried about getting the moment right when Albie would recognize his sister for who she was. 
but that was absolutely the moment it had to happen because when she speaks in defense of him in that way it, he just connects and, and he knows they know at that point who they both are and that was, was quite an emotional moment for me to write as well and I, I think it comes across I think it comes across in, in, in the play also and certainly when I listen to it that's one of a few moments that really kind of hit me if you're allowed to say that about your own writing but yes Absolutely. Yeah. Of, of course you can. And I also like the fact that they do get a happy ending together. Yes. And that again also, the happy ending is the other half of the tribute, I guess, to Trevor Baxter, because it's Trevor Baxter's character, Professor Lightfoot, who the boys end up with in the past. And he protects them. And I think the sense is, you know, Trevor would like to protect his friend and couldn't, and couldn't be open about who he was for most of his career. And um, so I think I'm, I, I listened to David Richardson on, on, on the extras and him kind of saying he thought it would have meant a lot. It would have gone down well with Trevor and David, you knew Trevor well. And so I'm, I'm pleased by that as well, I think. I think it's nice to kind of, um, it's a thing sometimes, a lot of it, this is changing of course, but a lot of times uh, gay people don't have families in the same way that straight people have families. So sometimes it's important to find ways to carry stories across time because there isn't that kind of way of um, handing anecdotes and possessions and memories and photographs down from parent to child. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons this is quite an emotive story for me because I'm trying to do my bit to hand on this story. Gosh, I got terribly seized, didn't I? I know, well, let's, let's, let's quickly get on serious. They were yeah. the only two who get a happy ending because the Weeping Angels were a couple as well. Yes! And yes, they get a happy my, ending. They do, my lesbian warrior Weeping Angels. They get reunited together. And I, I thought this is the, that was one of these things that I quite enjoyed because the thing with Leaping Angels is they remain kind of unknowable. I think there's, a da- there's always a danger to them. So they start and they end the problem, really, you know, because Helen meets the, she meets the first angel first time in the past and then he, she sees it's that same angel who's then been trapped that she encounters at the start of the play and it sends her back to create that story. And that final scene again i kind of had to hand hand over to to narration because you know the the whole crux of the play comes in the last line you know she calls them albie's angels because they took him away from her but they gave her back him back to her too you know and there's that kind of duality there why do they do what they do it's partly revenge on this evil record shop owner who's been exploiting one of them and you know using his sonar and sonic screwdriver derived weapon to vibrate off limbs and that kind of thing but it's also uh, it's a nice little uh, it's a nice um, reunion uh, of the two angels who then disappear but they can never look in each other's face you never know exactly what they're thinking about each other yeah i also did wonder if um if he was around in 2023, he'd be one of those horrible people profiteering on record store day, wouldn't he? <laughs> well, I think I think 
there is a lot of, of, of very inflated prices in the vinyl market, and I'm sure, yeah, uh-huh, maybe we need some weeping angels to come and, <laughs> come and <laughs> invest a sense of justice in the whole procedure. <laughs> Roy, it's been fantastic, as always. Thank you. Yeah, good to chat to you, Kenny. Thank you, Roy. But you're not the only person we've spoken to about this one, Mr. Gill, because I also spoke with Albie himself. Barnaby Jago. I should also say he has amazing hair and he was a huge big Finnish fan before getting the part. So doing Albie's Angels was a total joy for him. So let's head south of the border now and meet Barnaby Jago. Hello, my name is Barnaby Jago and I played Albie in uh, the big Finnish audio drama Albie's Angels with the amazing Paul McGann. Welcome to Pieces of Eight, Barnaby. It's lovely to have you on. And no, thank you so I much. Suppose something that, um, from the word go, I suppose it's fair to say that you know a thing or two about a big finish and b the eighth Doctor range. I suppose you better come clean now, hadn't you? <laughs> a full-on um, fan. Oh gosh, uh, my my history with Doctor Who has um, actually really mostly been involved in the uh, in the audio um, element. I actually didn't see uh, a televised um, uh, version of it um, for for ages and ages because when I was first getting into Doctor Who, it was the wilderness era. So it was all uh, all audios, particularly at my um, school, because I went to a boarding school, so getting any kind of, you know, television in there was was banned. But I could uh, listen to, um, uh, the lo- it was most of the lost stories on CD, so it was the um, the recordings of all the um, uh, lost um, Hartnell and um, Troughton episodes. You're so young! Yeah, <laughs> everyone says that, but it was it was so brilliant, because it just, it just got me hooked. Because, I mean, I would um, be out in the playground, I'm sure every every sort of like fan who grew up in the in the wilderness area have set, has said this but you know you're out in the um the playground you know playing daleks and no one has any idea what i'm what i'm talking about this was oh god this would have been 90 uh i think it must have been uh 99 or um just before um i think big finish was still kind of running at that point it might have been before paul because i think paul was 2001 the 2000s i think yeah. 2001 was that one and so yeah it was the uh it was the uh it was the audios and uh then uh i i so i didn't actually see a televised version for ages and then i listened to my first ever big finish which was uh peter davidson's uh winter for the adept and uh, me being so young, I thought this was obviously a television one, but um, it, it wasn't. It was a, a big Finnish um, version, and I was just uh, absolutely hooked. And my my first ever foray into the Fifth Doctor as well. So I'd gone from first to second to five. So, and uh, with Winter the Winter for the Adept as well, which was uh, it's Andrew Carbell, isn't it, who uh, wrote that one? I think it yes, is. Uh, absolutely, absolutely phenomenal writer. I've worked with him a, a few times. Uh, don't tell him I asked if, if, if he wrote that one, but uh, <laughs> I just my uh, my knowledge of the writers is is somewhat uh, is is somewhat all over the place. But uh, yeah, fantastic writer, and I loved Winter for the Adept so much. Uh, it really got me into the whole range. And then I just had to um, go to my local Waterstones and just try and get as many cassettes and um, CDs as I could, and work my way through the the Eighth Doctor range. Um, uh, started off with um, Sirens of Time, and those. So did um, Colin Peters and Sylvester's 
range as well and and just absolutely adored every single one it was I mean, I, I'm on another podcast sometimes called um, Type 40 Podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to them, but uh, they're, they're not. Uh, some of them aren't the biggest fan of the um, the big finish ones because they see them as not being canon. I think they're totally canon. I think it's better than some of the, the television stuff they put on sometimes. I mean, oh gosh, Circular Time I was listening to today. I mean, dealt with, I don't think I'd ever listened to a, a single uh, series of stories because it's for different stories a single selection of stories that really just humanizing Nissa so much humanizing the doctor more than i'd i'd ever seen it before because peter was my first um big finish doctor yeah just just loving it that the writing is just so stellar it really made me fall in love with these characters again and then when i finally got round to the uh to the television aspect of it i was even more enthralled because then i was seeing these people like uh davros and omega and uh, the master actually in well, in the flesh, and uh, and it just made me a Hoovian for life. So I, in a way, I actually have to say, Big Finish got me into uh, the fandom. <laughs> it's funny how there's so many people who have actually had that similar journey, discovered yeah. the audio, and then sort of like the TV things, like an adjunct to it. So yeah, marvelous. I suppose um, it must have been a bit of a dream come true getting to act in a Big Finish. So what do you remember about how you came to be cast? Well, uh, when I first um, uh, got with my agent, uh, one of the first things I did say to her is that I, I love audio and I have all the equipment just here and I would love to, and there's a particular company, Big Finish, who um, a couple of mates of mine have been on and um, a few other mates as well have, have written for. And I would love, you know, send them an email and just, you know, I've got a voice reel, would love to be considered. And it uh, took a while, but I they always responded, which is really great. I would sometimes jot them off an email to if I ever got someone's uh, email address and they always responded saying oh thank you so much really love that you um, like this particular drama and uh, they just and so so wonderful and then yes it was uh, last year that I finally got the email I think after about um, a couple of years and uh, oh just just over the moon not only playing you know not even uh, just playing a, a small character but you know the title character which I, I never thought would be a thing. I mean, I was just practicing my Dalek scream, you know, just be guy in background with a ray gun who just goes like, stop, and then just gets fired. Ah! You know, I was practicing that in the shower, my my Dalek death scream. But no, I actually had a bit more dialogue to go along with it. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, got the script in. I was told I was going to be recording from home, which I've done before, which was um, brilliant for me. And uh, yeah, read through the script. And uh, yeah, Roy has really really utterly hit the nail on the head with this one. I think this is now, of course, sort of one of my, well, obviously it's going to be one of my favourites because I'm in it, but the writing of it was so incredibly, really sort of connected with me and also with uh, the character of, of Helen as well and Albie's relationship to Helen. And and that was just what Big Finish was about for me because I was talking about um, a circular time and humanising the characters, but, but humanising the companions really delving into Helen's backstory and uh, played amazingly by um, Hattie Morahan, who was an absolute dream to work with as well. It's just a really fun bunch of people. I think, I mean, I, I was always, I was kind of expecting that, but uh, it was also, uh, it was just wonderful to just be sitting there and chatting with them and everyone was very uh, incredibly nice. And uh, yeah, loved Albie, loved playing Albie and uh, such a, a real, passionate kind of a real passionate character growing up and i mean 
yeah, being gay in the in the 1960s, around that time when it was illegal, playing that sort of character and grappling with that when he just wants to shout from the rooftops his what he's about and who he is, and and you know you you get Doctor Who stories about that, and then you get a, a big finished Doctor Who story which really dives into it, and Roy just utterly yeah, smashed it, and just um, great music as well, which I mean I, I follow a couple of the. Uh, uh, the um, composers on YouTube who do um, uh, a lot of the uh, music and uh, the music just really just completely hit it and just made it just so so powerful and so just so emotional for me and just worked so well with Albie yeah and then as soon as I finished recording I think about 10 minutes later uh, 10 minutes after it was uh, released I was on the wiki so <laughs> I'm canon <laughs> yay hey! it's a good place to be I've, I've, was I was shocked when uh, when I get an entry on there. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> and uh, and it's all accurate, which is quite incredible. Yeah. Somebody's obviously done their homework, um, which is fun. But before we started recording, I said to you that I had I've got special memories of Albie's Angels, as um, I listened to it last year since it came out because I'm a huge Eighth Doctor fan, as you're aware. Yes. But yes. In February this year, I was out at the Gallifrey Convention, and the day before it began, I went for a walk through the streets of LA, which is apparently is an unusual occurrence, and I put on Albie's Angels to listen to as I walked. So I can tell you exactly where I was. I was walking around a shopping mall, listening to you and the terror of that <laughs> angel in the in the in the river and I'm sorry in the in the pond and uh, and it's and forever every time I think of Albie's Angels now I'm going to think of being in LA and wandering <laughs> around that shopping mall trying to find hot topic and uh, it's just it's just it's amazing these wee sort of things that sort of like you associate now and that's forever going to be with me so. Um, but I'm mean, I absolutely loved it. Aww. I think, I think, of an incredible performance, and just you know, it's one of those ones that straight away you fall in love with the character of Alwi because he's a good man, and just at the most horrendous of times. And it's, I mean, I can't begin to imagine what that would have been like. And I suppose that's the thing that you finding that the truth in those words and the emotion that Roy put in there, and just, just the sheer unfairness of it all. Mm. No, uh, utterly. And just um, how he reacts to it as well, but also the the emotion with it, because I mean, along with um, what is happening to Albie and the situation is in Helen, knowing what's going to happen, and then and so in a way, is she changed in the future? So it's also a timey wimey episode as well that just has so much emotion involved in it. I mean, I might have gone and looked at some of the reviews uh, online, and uh, it's just full of praise for the writing, which quite right as well, because it is just so if it's I mean. Every reviewer that I kind of found was saying just they, they saved the best to last in the uh, connections box set. And, uh, you know, I may be a bit biased because, of course, I was in it. But um, the I, I, I really think it was just such a I mean, companion stories are, are always a very sort of powerful, emotional uh, story anyway. I mean, just look at circular time. But yeah, and it just it just it just worked. And it was just such a privilege to be a part of that and just and you know, just be part of a companion's backstory and just uh, hopefully, you know, maybe I'll get mentioned in, in other kind of um, stories coming up, you never know, and uh, and just be an event in that companion's uh, in that companion's, companion's journey with the Doctor, which is just uh, a wonderful thing to be a part of. Yeah, I suppose that having done this job and got to work with McGann, who I still think of in many ways as being the current Doctor, um, mm -hmm. 
there must be sort of a real thrill, but also think of, I wish I'd met him in person. Oh, well, uh, well, I was recording remotely, so I didn't actually uh, meet him in person, but I had a, a scene with him at the end, and uh, I mean, it's Paul McGann, isn't it? I mean, you're just uh, working opposite him and uh, going off his intonations and his voice, and even even then, when you're uh, yes, <laughs> getting the uh, getting the figure up there, I've got the um, uh, in terms of character options because I've got him in his green coat from the movie somewhere up. I should have brought that down now. <laughs> I've got his one um, upstairs. Damn, real could have shown off my geekiness there. There we go. Uh, that's oh, the, sorry, you can, yeah, didn't get, you can get them in the cheap in B&M at the moment, the three-pack yeah, yeah. of uh, of the TV movie Night of the Doctor and the big finish outfit. So, uh, the, the B&M ones, I've been scouting. My, my girlfriend lives in um, Kent, so I've been scouring all the um, B&Ms and that, but normally I haven't seen any. I want the Genesis of the Dalek set. But to, to, to come back to Paul, Paul was just yeah, phenomenal as, as usual. I never thought I would ever seen uh, uh, with him and just the professionalism and just the... Uh, I mean... He's done so many sort of fantastic stories. I still think of the diver- divergent um, universe arc after Zagreus as being some of my favourite um, collection of stories and really solidified and changed his Doctor a lot as well, going from what he was in the movie in Storm Warning and Sword of Orion over to what happened in Zagreus, which was a, 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 a huge, huge thing. As I mean, how just what a huge thing that was. And listening to it for the first time, I can... That's a pretty great thing about the the audios as well. You always remember where you are when you first listen to them. I, I remember I was uh, oh god, I think I was lying I was lying in bed in the dead of night listening to it. Um, the same way I listened to Chimes of Midnight actually, which I don't recommend because it's terrifying. <laughs> Such a terrifying story, but so brilliant. So yeah, listening to Zagreus and just being just being wowed by every single thing that's going on, and then and that having consequences for that and the relationship between him and Charlie, and you know, and sort of being part of that uh, tenure itself. Although, I must admit, the most, as a big Finnish fan, the most exciting part for me might have been when the theme tune came on, because I love that theme. The David Arnold version, yes. Probably, I would say, probably my favourite um, Doctor Who theme, up there with um, the, the Peter Davison one. I love that theme. It works so well Bring with tone. the spookiness. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Good man. Good man. <laughs> Oh, I need to get that's my ringtone. And yeah, being in a production which has that um, that theme tune, because that theme tune was very much part of my childhood and my my teenage years. I would um, other times when I've been on tour and you get a little bit bored on tour, I, I stick on a big finish and uh, I listen to a lot of McGann's stories. So that theme me- meant so much for me. So hearing my hearing myself connected with that theme was just uh, probably my favourite part. So. Yeah, because imagine with uh, obviously your relatives will have known how much you love Big Finish over the years. They must have been delighted for you as well. Oh, uh, over the moon, particularly my mother, because uh, I think uh, particularly growing up, I would <laughs> go on and on and on about um, what particular Big Finish I was listening to, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's always very sort of interested in that. So yeah, utterly over the moon, even for this um, tour I'm doing now, she didn't react with as much excitement as she did when I told her I got a big finish uh, productions because she was, she knew I'd always wanted to work on one of those. I suppose that's, that's the lovely thing. It's that childhood dream come true that so many of us sort of have grown up with it, and particularly for somebody like yourself, having grown up in the wilderness, wilderness years, it's not something you expect to happen. And then lo and behold, you get into the, the era that you absolutely adore. Yeah, uh, totally. And be 
and be part of that be, be part of that canon which is just so so wonderful I would have loved to have the for my next one if they ever me offered me a next one I want to uh, be in one with Frobisher bring back Frobisher that's what I say <laughs> oh Robert Jezek's superb is that he's just absolutely got the voice exactly how I'd always imagined it just that so a New York oh completely comedian yeah, New York sort of, yep <laughs> wonderful New York penguin <laughs> <laughs> So what was your highlight of the whole experience? My highlight? Oh, gosh. It would probably, it would actually probably be uh, the snowball fight with um, with Hattie. Because um, as soon as, even though I'm in my, um, I'm in my wardrobe, pretty much recording it, and um, I'm looking at my, um, um, looking at the coats on the rack, and just um, thinking, okay, I've got to somehow visualize this as a terrifying weeping angel that's coming at me. And then having Hattie in my ear on these headphones, I mean, right now, and we're just having a snowball fight. And she has such a fantastic way of just um, not only visual, she, she visual, visualizes it for herself, but also makes you see it as well through her own um, actions and you just get caught up in it. And I, I love that bit with the with the snowball fight and how it's, it, it's the connection between the brother and sister. And Albie, he's sort of, realizes it's sort of deep down but he doesn't want to admit to it yet but he feels an absolute a connection to her and Hattie just totally brought that out of me which I, I really kind of loved and then coming from such a light-hearted lovely scene to absolute cosmic terror where we're running away from weeping angels and uh, we're just uh, trying to help each other we're trying to escape so coming from something which yeah, which, there's a lot of lot of uh, uh, love. There's a lot of kind of like um, connection going on, and then oh, we've got to you know work with each other here to to get away. So that 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 uh, that those scenes in the park, I think, were an absolute uh, highlight for me. I'd say with Hattie. I'd also imagine that knowing what weeping angels are like that helped to, to visualise them in your mind. You knew what would be going on, so that sort of, you might be working in audio, but you can still see it, and you know how you're doing it. Oh yes, well th that's when it helps to be a fan, totally. Because uh, <laughs> I, w I may have rewatched Blink before going to do the uh, the audio, and uh, I'd, I'd actually forgotten how utterly terrifying they were. And I think I saw it. I think I saw it for the first time when I was about must have been sixteen or seventeen. And even then, I was very, very um, scared of them. They were probably the most terrifying thing I'd seen since uh, well since listening to The Power of the Daleks, which absolutely terrified me when I first listened to it. So. Amazing. Mm. Brilliant. Barnaby, thank you so much for your time and coming on and sharing your memories with us. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you so much for having, having me. It's always wonderful to come and talk about Big Finish and geek out. I love it. So is that our final interview this episode or do we have more? We do have more. It's actually time to hear from someone who wasn't featured in the CD Extras it's the sound designer Benji Clifford, who also wrote the song that Albie creates for Helen in the story with his lovely boyfriend, Billy. Oh. Hello, my name's Benji Clifford, and I'm the sound designer for Albie's Angels. Oh, and I also did a little musical number as well. You did. You almost make it sound like it's some sort of like song and dance number there, but... Um... That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I do the tap dance and a uh, little cabaret. <laughs> so I suppose once again it's a Roy Gill script and um, once again there's a song in it so I suppose from your point of view that must make you smile thinking like here we go I can do something a little different while working in these 
Well, absolutely. It's it's nice to to flex your skills a bit and do different things, and and you don't get the opportunity to to actually. You, I mean, you can write you know soundtrack music, but to do a song song, uh, it's it's a rare treat within the worlds of Doctor Who, and you know it's really nice. It's really nice to be given those opportunities. You know, Roy, Roy. I don't know if if Roy really knew what he was in for for the first time he did it back back with unit dating it was a song in there and i really didn't want to use stock music because it's just you know for so, for something so central i think it would be a real wasted opportunity so i took a gamble on recording a song for that and then was delighted when it was well received and then was even more delighted when this script appears and there's another opportunity to write a song i suppose it also takes the pressure off jimmy as well when he's doing his music <gasps> I think they're two, they're two very different things, you know, and, and I suspect part of Jamie is probably thinking he'd like to do, do a bit of a, a musical number and that. I mean, I, I, you know, I only... I, I feel, you know, pleased that I got the opportunity to do it because, you know, as some of you may know, like, I've got a bit of a side hustle from Big Finish where I do a bit of, you know, music myself, you know, doing band stuff. So it's nice to actually be able to take some of those elements of my personality and, and inject them into this. So I think with this one, Roy had the lyrics written this time for you, so it tied in with what's in the script. So how did you find that? Was that did that make your job a little easier, or was it a, was it a problem? And therefore, Roy gave us a problem. We'll have to eliminate him. <laughs> it was. It was a, I had mixed feelings actually, in a weird sort of defensive way, because it you know it turns up and and it's hard because when you receive if you've got lyrics but you haven't got any. Any, no, there are no chords there. There's nothing to say. This is how it goes. I'm just presented with some lyrics. So there was a kind of thing of like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe he didn't doesn't trust me to do it right. I don't know, but I didn't interpret it that way. But you know, you have all these thoughts when you first see it. But then the next port of call is you think, right, I've got to do because like all things, when you've got a script in front of you from a writer, the sound designer's job and the director's job is, you know, we've got to do this justice. We've got to make sure we can get the best out of this, not just for the listeners, but also for the person who, who's actually written the script. And, you know, Roy's stuff is so fantastic. I love his work and I love, I, you know, it's, you see certain writers when their names appear on, on you know, on, on your list of scripts and you think, brilliant, I've got a Roy Gill script. This is going to be fun. And so it was lovely to get the opportunity. And, you know, when you get the lyrics there, the first thing for me is okay let's get to work so it's you know sitting down with a guitar and just trying trying the words out and trying there's a thing they call it top lining in the musical world and what top lining is it's the vocal melody and so you can lay down a chord and top lining means you would have to write a separate melody on top of the the instrument chord so the first thing is is working out a melody for those lyrics and seeing what chords you can bend around it and so it took me it was it was about a morning of just messing around and eventually you find something that gets stuck in your head you think ah okay that then yeah 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 yeah. and then eventually it kind of just all comes together i think that obviously the fact that you had to do a, a more 60s style song rather than previously what we had with Ziggy Zigster, um, we had uh, a more 70s sort of glam rocky kind of sound. So did, that must have been a good wee challenge for you as well, just pushing you for a different style as well. Definitely. And it's got to be quite stripped back in, in, in this case because, you know, I mean, it's meant to be he's recording on an old, you know, tape machine. 
and and so you've got to really strip it down you've got to think about okay well how were they writing at the time um but also you don't want to go to you know you can't with a song like this one you can't go too cheesy you know with the with the um with the 70s song I could afford to get a bit cheesy and I could go a bit T-Rex in there. I could really, you know, have fun with that. But with this one, I think it was a more of a meaningful song. It's like a message through time. And so there has to be that level of earthiness. So, yeah, it's about looking at how they did things and maybe adding in your own little flair as well, thematically. And that wasn't your only challenge, of course, because you had the, the fun of weeping angels to bring to life as well. And I'd imagine that they're not the easiest of creatures to, because they don't have obviously that obvious catchphrase of a Cyberman or a Dalek or even an Ice Warrior that's hissing that obvious soundscape to work with. Oh, definitely, they're they're tricky. They are tricky. I'm. It's not my. It's not my first rodeo with the angels, so I had a good game plan of how to do them. And you know, it's it's really about how you can. Again, actually, it's about playing with the soundscape. It's really about playing with depth and distance within that, within the scene to make it work. I mean, one of the hardest things to do was the um, the scene where the angel was on the ice, because just it's just all about making it all kind of work. And again, you're playing with things that don't actually exist, and so when you've got things that don't really speak, it becomes a lot harder, and you really have to convey it. So with the angels, you know you're. You're constantly using the sounds of stone and gravel. I use a lot of gravel. They're not gravelly because they're obviously solid stone, but what does solid stone doesn't really make a noise, really? So, yeah, I use a lot of gravel and sort of, yeah, creaks and groans and things like that to bring them out. But it's just one of those things, I think, that once you let them in, the power of the imagination just takes hold and, and they're there right in front of you, as scary as ever. Absolutely. It definitely worked. And again sounds like cracking ice like we know that's that I suppose there's a shorthand in that we all know what that sounds like and then you get the fun of having a snowball fight <laughs> yeah I, again these things are gifts you know they're such gifts to do and um you know things like that i mean with with snow is a weird one actually because when you're looking through because obviously i can't record everything because time, quite frankly, and also when you're editing something in the summer, <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of snow. But snow's a weird one because there are like two different types of snow recordings that you find. You either find snow that sounds really creaky, you know, like when snow creaks under your feet, it kind of gr- like a you- crump, crump, crump sound, like a like crump, 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 but also kind of like oh, I can't even explain it. Like it, it feels more solid than it is. Like it kind of goes. I can't, yeah, it's a weird sort of thing. But then you also get the other snow, which is just like sand, which is really kind of... And so it's it's really tough, like hard to judge, like, which one you use. And then once you commit to one, you can't use the other sounds of, of any others. Sorry, there's probably people who are thinking, what are you talking about? These are the type of dilemmas that you have in sound design. So, you know, once you commit to something, you have to make it work. And sometimes there's not a lot of resources to do that. So it takes a lot of cheating. <laughs> work for me i was listening to it when i was walking through la and uh, i was just yeah reminded me of oh yeah snow that's that cold white stuff they have back in scotland all year round virtually it seems um although not to as we speak you to record it for me damn well could have damn it um although that's as i speak to now the rain has just gone off it's a horrible day as we like to say up here so. oh no 
Nightmare. Bring you probably. Yeah, I can do it the whole day. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, all in all, a happy experience once again for you. Always a happy experience. It's very, 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 very rare that it isn't. Um, but you know, I love I love working on on this range. It's so lovely, and we're we're so blessed to we're so blessed to have not just great writers, not just great directors, not just great producers, not just great actors, but you know, we've got great music by Jamie Robertson. You know, there's just so, there are so many different elements that go into making Big Finish and I, I think all of them are important to the to making that final prod, product and so, good to add in, with this one there's also great sound design so thank uh, you for all the work that you do and long may it continue. Thank you Kenny Let's chat again very soon because there's things we know about that we can't talk about that we can hopefully feature in the future. <sighs> Certainly are aren't there blimey, well look forward to it, same bat time same bat channel <laughs> magic speak to you soon Benji thank you cheers I really like that song it made me cry and yep. I'm not sure if that was pregnancy hormones <laughs> but it made me cry oh well we've got it to play at the end of the episode oh that's okay then mm-hmm. surely that's us done now I've got a baby to have soon or like by the time this episode goes out we'll have had that's, that's a terrifying thought. That's, why would you do that to me? I know. Tiny why me. So why don't we have one more? Why don't we have a chat with Jamie Robertson, who is behind the fantastic score? I mean, in that case, absolutely. It's not like we can say no. <laughs> Definitely not. And he didn't feature he he didn't feature on the official interviews either, did he, as far as I'm aware? No, he didn't. So he's our final guest this week, so it's all new content, Pete. Hello everyone, I'm Jamie Robertson and I was the music composer for Albie's Angels. Albie's Angels. Um, now, I, I remember there was something with a, um, was it, there was a lake, wasn't there? And the, the angel there was. Out, wasn't it? Yeah, and, uh, and also, I'm trying to think, think now, was it 1960s? It was indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. yeah, yeah, I'm trying to remember, think back. But the brain's not in the most. It's, it's and, all there. Um, it's all there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Who was the connection? Oh, Albie was. Um, um, it was Helen's brother. Helen's uh, brother. Yeah, that's it. And gets sent back, and the and the, the final connection was um, between. Wasn't there a revelation as well? He, he goes and stays with Professor Lightfoot with his boyfriend at the end as that's well. That's it. Which yeah. is a lovely little I, touch. Did I put the music in for Lightfoot? I think I might. Have put, I think you did. I, I think, think I twiddled did. in the Lightfoot theme. Yeah, yeah. within there, and um, you know, per- yeah, perfect chance for it, really. So yeah, um, and, and um, yeah, that's 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 definitely uh, definitely uh, one to. Uh, I think see it's these little stories. These one. These are the ones that people will listen to again. I think. From your point of view, with in terms of doing music for this, you've got a, an instant help there based on how the TV series had done the Weeping Angels with those dramatic stings and, and the build-ups. So in some ways, mm. I'd imagine that makes your job slightly easier, but at the same time, you want to do your own thing. Well, you say that. Uh, well, actually, I was uh, I was told, I can't remember what, what my first angel story was now. It was about four years ago, I think. Um, and we was told that we can't go do what... We can't do what Murray did. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we, we 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 wanted to avoid being like uh, you know we didn't want to get 
in trouble or anything and so that's why um, obviously I think Murray had the, the ripping choirs didn't he the choir ooh, and stuff like that yeah um, so that's why it tends to be more just an orchestra sort of does the, the sort yeah. of um, rips of the strings and that uh, um, um, but sometimes um, you know at the end of the day uh, Murray didn't actually write <laughs> didn't actually make up ripping choirs and stuff no. like that so we're able to sort of add in things now and that and um uh yeah to to bring it more in line with the tv sort of sound but but um yeah and the ripping the actual angel movement the angel stab i i, I came across that earlier actually mm. it's called, they call it the angel stab i think it is and um ah. yeah and um i think benji put that together a long time ago uh yeah ethics uh, angel stab don't you you won't hear that there um Oh no, or was it Howard? Might have been Howard actually. Who had actually mm. done the original uh, F FXA Angel Stab FX various. Uh, what would he have worked on? What would have that have been? The first Angel story? Uh, gosh, that would that have been a, one of the Doom Coalition ones? Was he Doom Coalition? Oh, no, the or first one appeared in uh, was Classic Doctors New Monsters. Uh, yeah, hang on, listen. I'm just going to hopefully it's won't feedback on you, but. Yeah, there it is. Do you hear that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, and then he got the. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know who who did them on. So, but um, I didn't realise there was children in there. <laughs> yeah. It was like children. Of, that was quite quite creepy, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think all that's based off the uh, TV and that. Whether he got was got given the sounds from Cardiff. Yeah. Um, or or what? But, um, but yeah, no, you got you got to obviously. I like to bring my own unique sort of side to it as well. Yeah. And um, but it is a lot. It is basically a lot of stabs, music mm -hmm. stabs, and um, uh, and there is the, there is a choir effect in there now that I use. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and, but yeah, I mean, because you don't want to go too far from the original. I mean, we don't do it with the sound design. We try and match yeah. the or. Or obtain the sound design of the original, like creatures or mm. weapons, the TARDIS, obviously, yeah. anything like that, you know. So, you don't, you know, it's the same with the music, really. I mean, just where music covers a little bit slightly different on um, um, copyright and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's um, the Weeping Angels, though. They're, they are creepy, aren't they? <laughs> they are. <laughs> Stephen Moffat had, what did yep. he, that was this one, he, yeah. when he did. Blink, the first ever one. I think everyone was like, oh, yeah. Doctor Who. That was the first time I've ever watched an episode and then gone back and watched it all again because yeah. it was so good. And that's the only yeah. time I've ever done that. Not even yeah. Day of the Doctor, much as I love it. But yeah, was, the... was it Sally Sparrow? Sally Sparrow? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just so creepy. Even with Murray's use of the, um, the uh, I think he used an o not but an o a bassoon or English horn. Yeah, and, that, and um, I think I used the English horn in in this actually a little bit. That sound. Yeah, yeah. You got to be careful because they, they can be English horn and bassoon sometimes. I think get a little bit mixed up. The other thing that this story, of course, is known for is the is the fact it's so emotive and um, emotional. And I suppose again, that's something that for yourself, that's there's a lot of emotion in the performances that, which is there in the script. And you really get to put the icing on the cake with that, and just what a beautiful score, just to yeah, to yeah. Everything. I mean, I mean, we can't we can't go on without um, um, complimenting Benji because obviously he did the song, 
Yeah. And uh, and so um, towards the end, obviously, all I've done is uh, for the end part is just added some additional. As the score's playing, you know, it rolls into his score. His well, not his song, and um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, that song makes a lot of this up, doesn't it? Really. Um, and I think it went down quite well, actually, on on Twitter and it, it places definitely like that. did. And, yeah, uh, but I think you're. I think you're being. You're slightly underselling yourself there because you got all the fun playfulness of the small yeah, fight and things like that. Yes, and, yeah, and yeah, just the yeah. sheer emotion of um, of how Albie's been treated and it and it just you know an yeah. abhorrent way to treat any human beings. And mm. I think you absolutely got like the, the disgust and the horror of how things were at the time and. And it's just it's beautifully done and, and it's just such a complete package that it's one of those ones where everything comes together everybody's mm. on top of their game not that people are below their game usually but this one is just top notch mm. for me oh okay so it's up there with one of your highs it definitely is of and i'm not just saying that yeah i'm not just yeah. saying that because roy's one of my best mates but um, yeah roy Gil. yeah Gil? yeah roy yeah. Gil, yeah he'll come around yeah. and kneecap me if i don't see that anyway but uh, <laughs> no i generally no he wouldn't roy's too nice for that um no <laughs> But no, it's genuinely it's an amazing story, and I think that mm. everything just came together with this one just to be a an amazing piece of work with a brilliant the brilliant regular cast, fantastic guest cast, yeah, and the work that yourself and Benji did and David and directing just it was just I saw it with um, it wasn't yeah. David directed it was Ken and with with Ken directing as well it just everything worked. I think, yeah, I think what else as well is these the main characters, you know, they've been together now for, for a little while. I don't think we've, we, I don't think we've heard the end of them yet, you know, um, I don't know what the plans are at the moment. <laughs> I know there's more Eighth Doctor on its way, but I don't know what it's actual, where it's going or what, but, but um, the, hopefully, yeah, I mean, we've just had the latest stuff earlier this year with Liv and Helen, didn't we? Yeah, what do we have? yeah. Um, but I think because the characters have, have been connected, and I've obviously the DC family theme, which I did, you know, the mm-hmm. Doom Coalition family theme, and it keeps it bonded together, and we're on this journey with them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that also adds into the story because obviously we're coming back to Helen's, pa- well, uh, brother, is it? A past. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and and that that's built it built into the story and helps with the um, the overall, you know, enjoyment. Um, and then adds to, uh, 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 also <clears throat> if you think about it it adds to the the threat of the angels because established characters and certainly characters who have you know uh, 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 the blood relative side yeah. you know if the angels are there you know it's it's as opposed to just arriving on a spaceship where any character can get picked off <laughs> this is a bit more sensitive a bit more serious you know yeah um, definitely yeah, but yeah, it's, it's 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 a very good. It's one I'd say it's probably up there. One one of my favourites, actually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, can't say much better than that. Fantastic, no, Jimmy. No, thank you once again. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone. So thanks to Roy, Barnaby, Benji, and Jamie for taking the time to join us to celebrate Albie's Angels today. Remember, if you've enjoyed today's pieces of eighth, or indeed liked any episode we've done. Please do leave a review for us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts, as it means more people can find our episodes, and it's always appreciated. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Pieces of Eighth. And we have our Facebook group too, so feel free to join us on there. But yeah, that's, you know, this episode's way over an hour long, which is our longest of the season so far, but could we have another one later on to match it? Who knows? 
I have a feeling this Knowing episode, you, probably. Yeah, I think episode 6.10 and three weeks is going to be another lengthy one, but there we go. <laughs> so we'll be back next week with another episode, this time having a look at the creation of a big Finnish short trip, Letting Go, as we have a chat with the writer Simon Guerrier about it, which was conducted at Gallifrey earlier this year. Gallifrey. I want to go. I've not mentioned it much, have I? No, not at all. <laughs> Every day. No, not at all. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, playing us out today, we've got a Song for Helen with lyrics by Roy Gill and music by Benji Clifford. So until next time, I've been Kenny Smith. And I'm probably crying. So I was Rebecca Chapman. <laughs> Please don't cry. Bye bye. It's so sad. Bye. So hold a perfect in the snow Lost in your winter candle glow We found each other for a time It was then and gone again Everyone's got to have someone And then they gotta go You gotta know when it's time to go Everyone's got to have someone And then you gotta go you gotta know when it's time to go Everyone's got to have someone And then they gotta go You have to know when it's time to go Everyone's got to have someone And then they gotta go You gotta know when it's time to go